All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Write Up Your Algae. I hope you enjoyed our episode the other week with Clara telling me a little bit about AMF. If you've noticed, I am recovering from a cold, so I've got this sweet, sweet, deep drawl going on, and I, I hope all you audio listeners enjoy. I think it's very sexy. <laughs> I agree. Clara, today, we have a fun one. We are talking about the world's largest invasive species, the third heaviest land mammal. We are talking about the hippopotamus. More specifically, we're talking about Colombia's colloquially known as cocaine hippos. As we know, hippos are not invasive to Africa. However, they are invasive to Colombia. Clara, do you know how hippos were introduced to Colombia? It was the drug lord. (laughs) What's his name? Pablo Escobar. You got her. Yes. (laughs) They had escaped from cocaine lord Pablo Escobar's estate after his arrest in 1991. And from one male and four female hippos became an established population of around 180 to 215 as of November of last year. This brings me to a very important point in this episode. I found a lot of conflicting information, but typically I default it to more recent sources and peer-reviewed sources over news articles. This has been a hot topic recently as new efforts of combating some issues have been rolled out in November that I will discuss later on. However, if anyone feels like I've given inaccurate information, do not hesitate to shoot us an email at ruyapodcast at outlook.com. That's R-U-Y-A podcast at outlook.com. Or feel free to DM us on Instagram. I am also limited by only English results. And of course, Colombia is a Spanish-speaking country, so local wildlife studies and publications may not have been available to me. And to be completely transparent, I used a majority of U.S.-based sources for this episode. Let's move on. In the 1980s, Pablo Escobar brought many non-native species into his ranch to build an extravagant menagerie. Among these were four hippopotamuses, three females and one male. After his arrest and subsequent death two years later in 1993, many animals were left unattended due to the National Drug Enforcement Agency's lack of means to remove or further manage them. By 2006, when the estate had become more or less of a tourist attraction, it was found that there were 16 hippos residing in the area, providing initial evidence of population growth. After years of being left to their own devices, these hippos grew and reproduced and expanded into the Magdalena River, where they now continue to reside in around 2,000 square kilometers of territory. There were a couple different growth models I looked at. However, some of the newer ones estimated that by 2050, they could number over a thousand without any control measures. However, this particular growth model has already been outgrown. So why are they taking such a dramatic route in Colombia? These hippopotamuses have no predators. Whereas in their natural environment of Africa, they do risk predation from Nile crocodiles, lions, spotted hyenas, and on rare occasion, other hippos. I have a great idea of how we can decrease the population size in Colombia. We should introduce <laughs> Nile crocodiles. introduce lions and Nile crocodiles. You know what, Clara? Problem solved. Why didn't they think of this? And thank you, guys. <laughs> we hope this episode was right up your algae. <laughs> That's all for today, folks. We solved the issue. Columbia, <laughs> feel free to DM us. We'll let you know our e-transfers. <laughs> <laughs> However, for the most part, they are not really optimal prey due to their aggression and size. Oh, well, I guess the, that goes our plan out the window. <laughs> they do also experience competition within their species. But with a large area to occupy, like in Colombia, territorialism is less of an issue. Furthermore, the environment is so ideal for hippopotamuses, they are actually reaching sexual maturity and reproducing sooner than in Africa. In African hippos, the average age of reproduction is around 7 or 8 years old, but in Colombia, it's averaging at around 4, thus contributing to the fast population growth. 
So let's discuss how this has affected Colombian wildlife and Colombian people. While some locals refer to the hippos as village pets, hippos are not quite the fat and happy pets that they might seem. What do you mean? (laughs) Hippos are very territorial. Females to their young, males to their harem, and of course over their territory. This, however, does not apply to pygmy hippos, which are not particularly territorial, but those aren't the hippos we're talking about today. Mm. I love me a good pygmy hippo. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) In their native area of the African continent, around 500 people per year can be killed by hippos. This number is due to a lot of factors. It's very lifestyle-based as well. Um, You know, a lot of African communities are going to have to interact with large wildlife a lot more, you know, fishing-based communities and things like that. They're just going to have more interactions, but it definitely doesn't help that they're a very large and very aggressive territorial species. (laughs) While no one has been killed by a hippo in Colombia, there have been attacks. Some people have taken advantage of this opportunity and trafficking young hippos for wealthy ranchers has been documented in recent years. As for the wildlife, the issues have only been hypothesized. Because this is so new, we can't say for sure that they are having certain dramatic effects on the environment, but there has been, it's been hypothesized. When you talk about scientific papers, scientists are always going to use the most accurate language possible. So when I say that something is hypothesized, I say that in the same way that I'm saying evolution is just a theory. It's the most accurate thing to say. However, there can be extreme evidence in its favor. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I feel like when we say evolution is a theory, it's the most accurate way we can describe something using our knowledge and and the terms that we have developed. So when we talk about hypotheses, we're not saying that this is the totally accepted thing, but we're saying that we don't have reason to doubt the hypotheses are like forever kind of changing, but they don't change that much. Once something has been tested a lot, then it doesn't change that much once it becomes a theory. This is like kind of, especially because I guess you're talking about newer research, it's it's kind of difficult to say whether or not this is yes or no, like this is the effect. But after years and years of studying, then you'll be able to more definitively say whether something is proven or not, or whether we fail, like in stats we use those like the language like we failed to reject the hypothesis so that means it doesn't mean we're accepting it to be true it means that we don't have evidence to support that it isn't true at the moment but in future it might not be the most accurate bit of information i guess i just kind of wanted to make clear that like when you're going to use language that is used in scientific reports you know, like peer-reviewed articles, they're going to use language that is almost seems more wishy-washy than maybe a news article might put it. Yeah. News articles like to speak in definitives, but definitives are not always the most most accurate thing to say. So when I say hypothesized, that's kind of what I mean. It's not just like a blind guess in the dark. So some of these issues that have been hypothesized include that their excrement could possibly cause a chemical change in the river systems, which could lead to increased algal blooms. As well, they may also displace river otters, capybaras, and manatees that occupy a similar territory, with many scientists using these reasons to justify calling for culling efforts. Castelblanco et al. in 2021 proposed that at least 30 hippos per year would need to be culled to prevent drastic ecological effect and was met with the death threats for this position. So people tend to kind of be on the hippo's side here. People have a difficult time 
seeing invasive species as invasives when they're big, cute animals. <laughs> so, in the past, there have been some mitigations in place, such as an attempted large-scale castration of male hippos, control of smaller population pockets, and slaughter for meat. None of these have been found to be successful. Uh, <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> First of all, hippo meat can carry a lot of diseases, although it hasn't really been found that the hippos themselves really brought many, like, brought, like, environmental diseases in, if that makes sense. Okay. But, like, eating their meat could potentially do that, if that makes sense. As well, during the call, an individual was killed, although this wasn't by a hippo. I'm not entirely sure how they were killed. I think it might have been that they were drowned, but they it wasn't, like, the hippo killed them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but as you can imagine, this is a pretty dangerous process to try to castrate a hippo. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want that job. I feel like I feel like that would probably be one of the worst jobs that you could do. It, it almost sounds like the punchline to a joke. Like it's it's really <laughs> it's really horrendous. I mean, there's so many factors at play here that make this so difficult. And I'm just going to talk about that a little bit. So they only are feeding at night, which means they're only out of the water at night. And they have to be out of the water when they're being castrated because you obviously don't want to sedate them and then they just drown. You know, that that's not the goal here. But why can't we just carry them out of the water, Emily? <laughs> can't carry them out of the water because they are three to ten tons. And the last extreme issue with castrating a hippo is while there are some animals that treat sedation really well, you know, they can be sedated relatively easily. Like humans. I guess. <laughs> I guess, yeah, like humans. Actually, I don't know. I don't know if we're difficult in the grand scheme of things. I don't know. I don't feel like we have a very high tolerance to things. Anyways, hippos, <laughs> hippos struggle with it. So if you're going to talk about a, some, we might get into this a little bit more if we talk about some other subjects, but fat can store chemicals, if that makes sense. Yeah. And hippos, as we've discussed, they are chunky. chunky. <laughs> and uh, they do not bear well to to sedatives, and it is it is really easy to mess up the the dosage. Mm -hmm. um, so that is just another thing that makes this a super difficult process because you don't want to overdose them, and then they pass away, and you also don't want to underdose them and then have a really angry hippo because you tried to chop its balls off. <laughs> <laughs> Recently, there has been some new and honestly, in my opinion, better efforts in place. So in 2023, in late 2023, around when I wrote this episode, proposals have been put in place to trap at least 70 of the hippos and relocate them to ecological reserves and rehabs in India and Mexico. Although other countries have also been offering to take the hippos in, such as Ecuador, the Philippines, and Botswana. In my opinion, this kind of seems like the thing to do. I feel like a lot of people would be happy about the solution. Hippos are not necessarily... They, they might be a struggling population in some countries in Africa. It probably couldn't hurt to, you know, rehabilitate them in, assuming they're not going to, you know, totally screw things up with any, <laughs> any like, environmental diseases or anything. But, sure. I mean, to, in, in broad strokes, this seems kind of like a pretty good idea. Yeah. Now there's been there's been some scientists who have been saying that maybe we should just leave them alone for a little bit, leave them to their own devices. And this has brought up an interesting concept that I've been reading up on lately that I've found pretty interesting, although I do have some critique. While this may seem like a bizarre creature to be taking up residence in Colombia, paleobiologist Jacob Dembitzer 
has argued that they are filling an ecological niche left bare for thousands of years. 15,000 years ago, megafauna in Colombia was made up of critters like elephants, larger species of llamas, and saber-toothed tigers. But a lot of this megafauna was thought to become extinct due to human hunting. This word megafauna that I'm going to continue bringing up just refers to any animal weighing more than 100 pounds at adulthood. So typically we humans are also megafauna. Uh, But this sort of age of, you know, around 15,000 years ago plus uh, is sort of defined as the age of megafauna, especially in North America. And a lot of characteristic megafauna of the time was grazing like large herbivores, Mm. kind of like hippos. (laughs) And Dembitzer then kind of goes on to, to mention some other countries and national park initiatives, such as introducing gray wolves to Yellowstone in 1995, after they were driven to near extinction in the early 20th century. So he sort of brings up an idea, although he doesn't name it in his particular paper, of rather than bringing an ecosystem back to what it looked like 100 years ago, 200 years ago, like a lot of rewilding efforts do, there's, there's this argument called Pliocene rewilding, of taking an ecosystem back to what it looked like tens of thousands of years ago. This has been seen in a couple countries, although I almost want to say that maybe they this wasn't really their intention to do Pliocene rewilding, yeah. but they've kind of, it just sort of ended up being that, if that makes okay. sense. A lot of large herbivores were brought back to Europe after they were overhunted, brought back to Russia after they were overhunted, and there's sort of this idea that we've got, we should try to bring this to North America. So this particular ungulate, this her- grazing herbivore that they think that hippos are filling the niche of is called the Toxodon. And I'm going to add some some cool pictures of some, there's been some cave paintings found of the Toxodon. It's sort of how it was eventually found. It's, a, it's an interesting animal. I find it kind of looks a bit rhino-ish. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so almost sort of resemblant of, of, of African megafauna. In the Pliocene, grassland ecosystems occupied around half of the world's landmass. Homo species emerged in these pasture ecosystems, where they left tools, weapons, cave paintings, and other signs of their presence. Humans were a hostile presence in this time, and global destruction of grasslands only accelerated in the Holocene, when people invented agriculture and began raising cattle. This actually brings up another kind of cheeky point in Dembitzer's article, which almost makes me think that this is a bit of a tongue-in-cheek article, which I, I, I honestly kind of didn't think was something that scientists could do. But I've read a couple and uh, sort of almost like satire pieces. Yeah. Not that I think this is completely a satire piece. I don't think that's true. He, he does use a lot of, you know, it, it, is, it is a reasonable paper. Yeah. E- even though we're kind of going to shit on it a little bit. It's, it is, <laughs> it's not like a completely out to lunch paper. In the slightest, and I recommend you read it yourself, so you can sort of make your own opinions on this if you'd like to. But he he does make a comment that cattle are also large invasive megafauna. No one seems to have an issue with them. I have an issue with them. <laughs> and we have an issue with them, but, <laughs> but most people don't. Yeah, that's true. Anyways, this article is kind of why I wanted to do this episode. I thought the concept was really fascinating. This idea that maybe a total bizarre accident could have resulted in maybe some positives for the environment. And a niche left unfilled for thousands of years was filled by Pablo Escobar's hippos, of all things. Though he brings up a lot of great arguments opposing common points brought up by scientists as justification for calls and other management efforts. Remember how I mentioned that they could displace river otter and manatee species? 
Well, in Africa, hippos have lived alongside both of these animals successfully. Now, while that is true in Africa, that doesn't necessarily mean it will be true here. Um, I thought it was a good point. I mean, he, he, it, it is a completely reasonable article is what I want to say. But there is, there's already a lot of megafauna in Colombia that kind of are already filling these roles that he's saying are left unfilled. There are already grazers. There's llamas. There's, there, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of things already there. It's yeah. a very biodiverse country. I kind of feel like we got off on the wrong foot a little bit at how to interpret this article. And I, it just, it's just sort of a thought that just kind of came into my mind. That's that this article isn't saying we need to introduce hippos to Colombia or we need to introduce hippos to other parts of North America. It's saying the hippos are already here. Mm-hmm. Is this the big bad thing that a lot of people are saying it is? And that I kind of have to agree with because he sort of ends the article saying, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that they're not going to cause any problems. I'm just saying maybe we need to do more research before we kill them all. And that I kind of agree with. Yeah. Um, But I do think that this current management plan that is coming out that came out after this article was published Mm -hmm. of relocating them. I do think that's the best thing to do. I do. Like, I'm not saying we should go out and kill a bunch of organisms. You know, I'm not saying that like. Obviously, these hippos, they are a precious organism. They're charismatic and they they didn't ask to be put in this situation kind of thing. So if we do relocate them, that's fine. But it's kind of a difficult thing when you talk about like filling that niche and that be the only or one of the only arguments for why they should stay there. Um, because if that niche is already being filled by other organisms and they have evolved over a short time, yes, but... They still had enough time to fill those niches um, through that last like 15,000 years or whatever. Like it's not a long time for evolution and it's not a long time for refilling those niches, but populations of certain things will rebound and take over that niche and stuff like that. So if you have too many organisms on this one niche, on this one role in your environment, then that could actually have like detrimental effects to that environment. If you're having overgrazing by organisms, like that is going to be detrimental. You're going to have loss of biodiversity. And so I think that the issue of the hippos is their population is expanding at such a rapid rate in this area that any environment won't have time to rebound from that. Yeah, totally. Anyways, folks, let's move on to our favorite part of the episode. Trivia. All right, Clara. What is the national animal of Colombia? Your options are the jaguar, the pink river dolphin, the Andean condor, or the giant anteater. The condor. That's correct. Colombia's newest hippo management plan will cost approximately how many Canadian dollars? Over 11.5 million? Over 4.5 million, over 1.5 million, or over 25.5 million? 4.5 million. Correct. Yes. At the time of his death, how much money did Pablo Escobar have in Canadian dollars? 800 million, 2 billion, 40 billion, or 60 billion? 40. Correct. And that is $93.5 billion today. Anyways, folks, please don't forget to check out our Instagram. Email us if you have any episode suggestions or questions or just want to say hi. You can also feel free to DM us if you would prefer. You can find all of our sources in the episode description. And we hope this episode was... Right up your algae.